0: The students hadn't really had a lot of experience questioning and talking to each other because they were used to just sitting in the classroom and listening to the teacher, so this was a little bit of a
1: different experience. The students get to have that natural curiosity that they already have, and they can use it to question exemplars and variables, which ultimately, like, we're getting to much deeper learning that they're gonna hold on to because it already means something to them. Education Uncharted
2: is a show from Propello, a K-12 teaching and learning platform that helps districts and teachers give every student a first-class learning experience. I'm your host, Amanda Bratton, exploring the stories of courageous educators that have broken out of the status quo to chart new paths and boldly innovate in the ever-changing landscape of education. Today's episode is going to be a little different than what we're used to. I'm joined today by Lisa Thane and Katie Hovanek from our very own Propello team. Lisa is our lead editorial program manager in science and Katie is our cross-curricular instructional specialist. And they are both former educators with a collective 40 years of experience in the classroom. Lisa, Katie, and myself are going to discuss inquiry-based learning, an approach that we at Propello hold central to our mission. So Lisa and Katie, I'm so excited to chat with you both today about inquiry-based learning and your experiences in the classroom. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. We're excited to be here.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: I wonder if somebody can give me their own personal definition of inquiry-based
1: learning. What is it to you? To me, inquiry-based learning uses the student's natural curiosity, the way they ask thousands of questions about the world and how it works around them as a foundation for finding things out, for learning.
0: I think what it really does is it makes it focus on the student and it brings it student-centered. So instead of having the teacher presenting information to the students, it starts with the students and what they want to know, and the teacher becomes the guide. What is great about it is the students used to ask, why do we need to learn this now that no longer becomes relevant? Because right away, the students know exactly why we need to learn this. So it's really exciting.
2: The inquiry-based classroom looks like how little kids are learning every day. There's no asking why I need to learn it because I'm asking why it's happening. Like I'm already curious and asking the questions as opposed to feeling like, why do
0: I need to put this information into my brain? Instead of the students just listening, the students are actively engaged in their learning. So students are in charge of their learning. So they start with the wonders and they say, I wonder why this is happening. I wonder what's going on in the world. And then what more information do I need in order to further my learning? So we're starting with the students becoming lifelong learners
2: at that early age. I feel like Inquiry-based learning is definitely having its moment, and I wonder if you have any insight into why you think this framework is gaining prominence in education today. So based on your experiences in the classroom, in curriculum development, in the work that you have done in the world of education, why do you think this is the thing that people are talking about at this point in classroom pedagogy?
1: I think it has a lot to do with accountability culture coming out of the mass standardized test movement, where the answer to why do we have to learn this is because it's on a test. And it's reactionary to that because we're moving, as Lisa said, the ownership of asking those why questions onto the student. And then the students get to have that natural curiosity that they already have, and they can use it to question exemplars and variables, which ultimately, like, we're getting to much deeper learning that they're going to hold on to because it already means something to them. Like when a kid asks you, why is the sky blue? Whatever you tell them, they're not going to forget it because it's already valuable to them. To
0: add on to that is also the saturation of information. So in the world, you can get anything at your fingertips. We can search for anything. And now with AI and ChatGPT, you can get anything. You can ask the internet, whatever you want. So students no longer just need to sit in a classroom and receive information. They need to take that information and do something with it. And that is what inquiry-based learning does, is it requires the students to take the information and think about it critically and to apply that information into real world situations and applications and say I have this information number one let me question it is this information real and accurate number two what do I need to do with it and number three what more information do I need and so I'm pushing my thinking and pushing my creativity and I'm using the people and the resources around me and I'm asking for more I'm asking for different perspectives I'm asking for different sources of information, maybe things outside of what the teacher might even have and say, give me more. And even the five-year-olds, even the 10-year-olds, even the kids that don't usually participate, have that opportunity to participate in the classrooms now. That's an interesting thought that even young
2: students who maybe don't have the answer, like I can't raise my hand and answer the question that the teacher is asking. Instead, I can be the one raising my hand and ask the question that then drives our classroom learning. Is that kind of what this is all about then?
0: We have two ways of contributing to the classroom, more than two, but at least two ways. We have one where we can ask more questions and we can further our thinking or we can contribute knowledge and information. And so we can be those problem solvers and those problem seekers. And so the students... Have a space,
2: and it sounds like this is how we start shifting toward this idea of student-centered learning. That bringing the questioning in is what drives the classroom, and I wonder if that kind can get us to that point of addressing individual students' needs and bringing in some of the cultural relevancy and the individual funds of knowledge that allow for all of our students to feel validation and in the information that they're bringing into class.
1: Absolutely. Just as we were talking about like how important it is to have a wide variety of questions, it's equally important, as we're talking about individual funds of knowledge, to appreciate the wide variety of connections that students are going to make. And the wild thing about that is that students are so brilliant and they know so much more about the world around them than we realize they do. Some kid's probably going to have an off-the-wall connection and you're going to be like, tell me more about that because I'm not sure what the connection is, but I can see that you're excited about it, that sort of thing. And I think that's a brilliant opportunity for making space for home culture in the classroom, giving honor to cultural funds of knowledge as well, and language connections. There's so much there. I wonder if each of
2: you or either of you can give us some examples or an example of a time where you were utilizing this structure in your classroom. I would love to hear of a time where the conversation went in a completely different direction than what you were expecting it to go, but it ended up maybe being something really valuable or just a time where you found the the conversation directed your classroom in a way that if you had been the typical sage on the stage might never have gotten to that place that was so critical for understanding a new concept or grasping a new skill. Do either of you
0: have any examples that you could share? I do I have my experiences working with the younger kids where we start with the questioning and teaching the kids how to ask questions. They know how to ask questions, but then how to listen to each other. So one activity that I started with some students in sixth grade, the students hadn't really had a lot of experience questioning and talking to each other because they were used to just sitting in the classroom and listening to the teacher. So this was a little bit of a different experience. It actually wasn't in science. It was more in social studies but the students each took a character in history and I gave them a time period and they can choose the time period. And they had to learn about their character, obviously, but then they also had to learn about their perspective because what was important is they were going to interact with each other and they were going to talk to each other from their perspective. So it's not just learning facts about the character in history, but they had to think about them as a personality. And so if they were doing JFK Jr. or JFK, or if they were going to do MLK, how would they talk to each other? So not just this is the date I was born, this is how I died, these were my important contributions to history, but how would these people as people talk to each other? And so they actually had to think about them. And so they were practicing and they were learning about the people and actually really trying to deep dive into them. And it was interesting listening to them. Before we actually got into it, we had a little cocktail party. It was a little mocktail party in the classroom, which was really fun. But before we actually got to that situation, they were practicing. And the conversations that the students were having with each other, some of them were having conversations about, well, I wouldn't actually be standing next to you because my person would not like your person at all. And so I wouldn't be near you. So I can't be near you in the classroom. And then someone said, I'm a peacemaker. So I'm going to probably get you guys to try to get together. And so hearing those conversations, they went beyond even what I did. And so I really had the opportunity to stand completely on the side and just listen to the conversations that were happening. And so it went well beyond what I did. I couldn't even prep them for these types of conversations and this type of learning and this type of interaction. So it was really quite interesting.
1: My department, we used to teach thematically as an English teacher. When I first started, we would just teach a book and that the book was the unit. But as we evolved, we started to teach thematically. So the unit that I want to talk about was about identity, like how it is shaped, things that are challenging, how the world around us influences our identity and our values. And the students project was a museum of what it means to be a contemporary teenager because teenagers perpetually feel misunderstood. And they had the opportunity to work individually or in small groups. I'm going to get to the important one, but let me tell you a few cool things. So I had some kids who were really interested in photography do a photo series about what it means to be a young woman and cultural expectations about hair and makeup and attire. I had a group of four kids create a hyper local dictionary of teenage slang. I had a group of students of a similar ethnicity create participatory mapping exercise about places in the physical building where they felt valued and where they did not. But the one I, I really want to talk about two kids where we're getting to the end of the unit and I thought that I'd been doing a really good job of following up with people and trying to keep them going. And I get to this Hair, and I'm like, what can I do to help you finalize your project? And they're like, we don't have any projects. We have nothing. And I'm like sweating buckets. What am I going to do? <laughs> we got going to do something. And I'm like, okay, there's modeling that needs to be done. I'm going to model curiosity, right? I'm going to be playful about it. but I'm going to be serious, but I'm going to model curiosity. Can you tell me more about why you don't have a project? Yeah, every day after school, I got to go home and I need to take care of my brother and sister. I need to make dinner. I need to make sure they do their homework. I need to make sure they have a bath and I need to get them into bed. The other kid, I have religious school after school every day. And then we have our religious meeting time and this particular child had a role in the actual service. They were very religious. It happened every day. So that became the project. It was the why I don't have a project. And frankly, I learned so much about the kids and their home culture and their language and the expectations that people have for them. And it's in part true. Like Nobody really knows what it is to be a teenager because it's always changing and it's always impossible. And you're just on this like weird cusp between being a child and an adult, but people mostly expect you to be an adult. But yeah, getting them to value that. I don't have a project because... I'm doing other valuable things and making a space for it in the classroom. So that could have been a total fail. I could have been like, okay, well, I really
2: just didn't quite hit it this time. But you took the cue and you said there's always a way for learning to happen. There's always an opportunity to make this an opportunity. And you flexed with it. It seems like the basis of an inquiry-based classroom is that you have to be able to pivot and figure a way to get that couch up the stairs. Tell me a time when the fail really happened. I have to imagine if you're really enacting inquiry in your classroom, there are going to be times when you feel like this was a no-go.
1: Sure. This was a time when we were working on heroic journeys and the Odyssey, fairly traditional assignment where the students are like, What is their odyssey? What is a family odyssey? Trying to record a family story. And we did this whole thing with StoryCorps and the Veterans History Project. And we were trying to find veterans in our families and record their stories because where I live, we have a tremendous population of veterans. It was bad. It sounded so good, but we just couldn't quite deliver. And a large part of this was at the time I was doing it, this was before we'd gone one-to-one with devices. So, I needed to have a reservation to get the computer cart and then bring it down the elevator and outside to my learning cottage and hope that they were charged enough. It was like there were a lot of things working against me. But with inquiry-based learning, as Lisa was saying earlier, you have everything at your fingertips. Sometimes there are resource challenges about getting the kids to have access to the information or tools they need to do something truly wonderful with what they've learned. That's the first example I could think of.
0: I have one. We were working on wetlands and it actually was quite timely because my school had just been built and I had opened the school. And one of the things that happens when a school is built in the area that I was is if there's wetlands in the area, they have to push them aside and they have to make space for the wetlands. You can't remove the wetlands. They have to protect it, but they move them over. And so I was like, oh, this is great. And we'll talk about the conservation of the area and we'll really build up the wetlands and We'll put in some conservation areas and we'll put in some decking and we'll make little signs and we'll really build it up. And because it's a brand new building, it's a brand new area and I have the, the ability to do lots of stuff. No one else had touched this area and so I can touch this area. So it was great. I had great big plans, great big ideas. Unfortunately, I don't have the ability to adjust the weather So when it's 110 degrees and we're supposed to be going outside to do the building and do the digging and everything just falls apart. So basically, I had 75 students outside, not quite passing out, but quite hot. Basically, we just sat outside drinking water the entire time with shovels and ready to work. But We had planned. We had done a lot of planning, but we could not implement a single thing because the weather just did not cooperate with us for an entire week. We had really good ideas. And the one day that we did try to dig, we realized that our school was built on an entire mound of clay. And so there was nothing that we could do to dig anyway. We went outside and we drank water and we looked at the wetlands. We planned a lot and got zero done. So those wetlands are just grasses still to this day, but there's good plans.
2: It sounds to me like these are fails that would happen in any classroom, whether or not you were structured as an inquiry-based classroom or not, right? Every single teacher can call up multiple examples of times when things that they had planned or the intention that they had for a lesson just fell flat. It sounds to me like this is no different than the fails that you have in a typical classroom. You just have to be ready and do your best to recognize that just because I'm trying something new or different, the fails are still going to happen. And we just have to recognize that, move on, learn from it, right? So that should not be the reason why you don't dip your foot in that fear of failure should not be the reason why you don't give it a try. If you think it's something that could work for you and your students, because we're doing that every day. (laughs) Like we're at risk of making mistakes every day. I don't know about you, but when I was in the classroom, I 100% made mistakes every day. You just do and you learn from them and then you move on and you hope you can make the pivot to that I didn't have a project project, but you don't always come up with those on the fly. I guess those stories make it a little bit easier to say, okay, I know how to fail. I've done it before. I'll do it again. Why don't I try failing with something new that I think could really work? So when you transitioned the way that you taught into more of a student-centered, student-led teacher-guided framework, what were some of the outcomes that you saw that made it worth continuing to make the same sorts of mistakes over and over again? Or the fear of walking into the class and saying, I don't know how this is going to go today. What were some of the things that made it worthwhile?
0: I would say for me, number one is engagement. The kids were excited to come in and they wanted to learn it wasn't like what are we doing today it was what are we doing today they were excited and I was getting those letters from parents saying wow my kids are actually talking about what they're doing in class today so you're obviously doing something I don't understand what you're doing but you're doing something and it seems to be working and the other thing was I realized that I was becoming more intentional as a teacher, because I had to set up that success criteria ahead of time, because I had to determine what was going to be the marker of success. It wasn't going to be that completed wetland. It had to be something ahead of time. And so I had to be intentional about what was going to be that determiner of a successful end of project. And because of that, it was well-planned ahead of time. And so I could see that growth. I could see the student's how time through formative assessment and through summative assessments, I could see really easily they got it and they didn't just get it for the test. They got it over and over again. So it's that retention of knowledge and just wanting to be there. That's huge. Upper elementary and middle school, just wanting to be there. Huge. I think
1: it's similar with high school. I think one of the biggest things that I was paying attention to when I first started was the amount and balance of talk time. As a high school English and social studies teacher, that's very traditional lecture. And I'm sure that's what a lot of us who've been in the classroom, that's what we remember. And hoping that we've set up a situation that can help a student get to their own self-constructed definition or understanding can make you a little nervous at first. But I think that setting up those conditions to allow students to talk to one another, to have that social experience, to construct their own learning. And also they want to be social in the first place. It made it feel less like work. Like we were definitely doing big time, critical, creative thinking. It was not easy. I'm on my 11th page of notes and I've sat here and I've been passive the whole time. And when is lunch? Don't get me wrong, they still want to know when lunch lunches, but they've had those opportunities to think together, which again, to go back to a previous point, it just helps them to better organize that information so that they can recall it
2: because it already means more. That emotional connection, that learning is, it's social and it's emotional. And if we can connect what we're trying to get to those two things, it doesn't leave us. It stays with us. And we're able to connect the pieces of knowledge that we start gathering and the skills that we learn to other places that transfer, that the emotional and social parts bring to our learning. So before we go, I want to make sure that anybody who's listening today has a few steps that they could immediately enact in their classrooms they're driving home from work right now listening, or they're driving in to the classroom listening, what can they be thinking about for the next time they walk into the classroom or the next time that they have to start developing the next step of their lesson plans to start their journey into inquiry-based learning? What would you suggest would be a great place to start implementing some inquiry into a classroom?
1: I think the most basic place is asking students when they provide you with an answer, like, can you tell me how you arrived at this answer? That sort of thing. Or working on observe, organize, and question. Show them something that's essential to what they need to know today and ask them, what are you observing in this situation? How can you organize the details that you've observed? Which parts belong? Which parts don't belong? How did the various details work together? What questions do you have about how this works, how it works together, why it works, that sort of thing. Getting students to slow down their thinking and just notice. And I think that you'll be surprised what they can pick up on all on their own.
0: And I'm gonna say adding the community in the classroom because inquiry-based learning requires a lot of discomfort. You start with questions, but you don't always have right answers. And that's really hard for students to work with, but also for teachers, not knowing the answers or knowing the direction. So I think both having that growth mindset for both students and teachers, and resilience to live with resilience and to say, it's okay if I don't have the answers. It's okay if we go off track, we go down a rabbit hole, but here's how we get back to it. Knowing there's going to be an end point, we are going to fail. And we're going to reflect on that and we're going to learn from that. So everything that we do is going to be a point of reflection and we'll grow from there. So we're going to start with baby steps and that it's going to be okay, but this is going to be a safe space to fail and fix things and try again next time.
1: I have to agree with Lisa, really enculturating that place where everyone's question has value. Everyone's connection has value and... Also, as part of that enculturation, it's okay for you to raise your hand when you don't have the right answer. I would really love to hear some wrong answers so we could talk about maybe why they're wrong.
0: Contribute, just contribute. And contribute in a quiet voice, contribute one-on-one to your partner because it doesn't always have to be whole group. Not everyone has that big whole group voice. Sometimes we have that partner voice and that's okay too. So again, just coming back
2: to that, recognition that you can own your learning and that mistakes are just a step on the road to learning more, which is maybe not the way that we were taught, right? You didn't raise your hand unless you knew the answer. And then there were classrooms where it was like nobody raised their hand so the teacher had to call on you. And so we're hoping that these classrooms look more like everyone's raising their hands or everyone's contributing in group because it's okay to not know because that's the whole point is that we don't know and we're trying to figure it out. Maybe that's the same for the teachers too. We don't always know and we're just trying to figure it out. What else should we talk about before we go? Is there anything that I'm missing or a piece of this conversation that you feel like we need to
0: add before we close? I think the one other thing that I would add is to remember that you're never doing it alone and to have a community around you is really helpful. There's a lot of resources out there and sometimes there's too many resources. It can be overwhelming, but to even having a partner next to you to say, let's try this together or let's reflect afterwards. So you do it in your room, I'm going to do it in my room and then let's talk about it afterwards. Having a partner, having a sounding board, having a planning someone through text, whatever, just having someone on your side is really helpful. So for those teachers that want to try it, get someone, get one of us. We're here.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, Lisa just said, it doesn't have to be somebody, you know, doesn't have to be somebody, you know, well, doesn't have to be somebody near you. I happened to meet Lisa in 2013. And we kept in contact. Lisa's a brilliant thought partner. And I've been so glad to know her and know of her. We lived hours apart at first, and then got farther and farther apart. And like some of my best thought partners, this is how I talk to them because they're far away from me. But I love the way they think and I love the way they push me. And as Lisa said, find that community of people who want to experiment with you. Ladies,
2: I am really lucky that you are both part of my community here at Propello as we continue to do the work that we're doing. And I thank you both so much for coming on and talking with us about your experiences in an inquiry based classroom. I hope we can continue this because I know that there is so much more to learn, so much more to uncover and talk about and share with other educators who are curious about applying some of these ideas into their classrooms and to their own learning. So thank you both. And yeah, I can't wait to have you back.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you.
2: I loved having Lisa and Katie on today's episode of Education Uncharted. As you may have guessed from our conversation, we at Propello are big believers in the power of inquiry-based learning. These are my favorite takeaways from today's conversation. First, student engagement can skyrocket. We're always looking for ways to capture our students' curiosity and attention, and engaging in inquiry can be a great method to increase engagement through the emotional and social aspects of learning. Second, when trying new things, it's important to allow ourselves to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mistakes are okay, and that goes for both teachers and students. Inquiry-based learning is different than most traditional teaching methods. We learn from our mistakes. And they shouldn't be a reason to not try something new that we think could add significant value to what we do. Finally, find your people. There's a whole community of like-minded educators who want to rethink the way we teach and learn. People like Dr. Elizabeth Dean, who joined us on a recent episode of our podcast. You may have to look beyond the walls of your school or your district, but they're out there. Find them and learn together. Mistakes and all. We just started scratching the surface of the benefits of inquiry-based learning and what it can bring to your classroom. If you are interested in learning more about inquiry-based learning, download our free ebook on Discourse in the Classroom at propello.com discourse. Also, stay tuned for more episodes and resources for incorporating inquiry-based learning into your classrooms, schools, and districts. I'm Amanda Bratton. For more conversations with bold educators exploring uncharted territory, click the link in the show notes or visit propello.com backslash learn to learn more.